Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm your host, Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Spesch. Hello. Uh, been a busy week, Derek. Going a lot to places, doing lots of things, a lot of research this week, that's for sure. Busy, busy, busy. It has been. Uh, I actually spent a lot of my time, because we've been looking, well, we did the film festival, right? Yes. That was um, fun. It, it really was fun. Had a lot of fun. A lot of people showed up and uh, everybody seemed to enjoy themselves. There's some good films. It was a full house. It was. I it was, was. I was actually concerned because I, I thought we had too many people there and not enough seating, but it worked out. We Just we enough. Just enough. So I've been looking at, you know, some of the films that were, that were shown and some of the uh, people doing it. And it got me thinking about uh, filmmakers. Uh-huh. Now, I, I've done some filmmaking, a couple of videos and stuff. Nothing yeah, you did too... Wood on Caribou thing, right? Yeah, I did that one on Woodland Caribou. I did one on uh, Spring. Um, I didn't see that one. Oh, yeah, I've got that. It's on uh, Vimeo. I saw the Wood on Caribou. It was really good. Yep. And, uh, but I've been thinking about getting back into doing some more films and stuff. Um, so I've been looking around and just watching films this week. And it gets you thinking about who is doing canoe and kayak, uh, any, any type of paddling films. And I really sort of geared myself towards uh, films regarding the canoe. And the big one that really started it for me back in the day was Bill Mason. Yes. Um, Bill Mason was a Canadian naturalist, author, artist, filmmaker, conservationist. I think he did everything. And, uh, you know, he, he did a lot of canoeing books and films, and he was quite the artist as well. He did, did a lot of paintings and stuff. Uh, he did more than just canoes, uh, films on canoes. He did stuff about wolves uh, and a lot of stuff. A lot of his stuff can be found on the National Film Board of Canada site. Uh, if you Google that, you'll find all his, his stuff, or a lot of his stuff there. Yes. Uh, he developed and refined canoeing strokes uh, and river running techniques, especially for whitewater um, paddling. And there's a lot of it that even to this day, like, he, people have referred to him as a patron saint of canoeing. Yeah, which he, is quite he was the, at the leading edge of, of like the, everybody you... Back in the day, used canoes, it, it, a lot of them were developed in Canada and it's a, it, it's sort of a Canadian icon, right? But, uh, yeah. and when, when canoeing started to become part of the forefront, he was in the forefront of everything and he, he was a developer of the, what would you call it? A sport, an industry, a way of life, a lifestyle. I, I would say a lifestyle. Um, yeah, because, you know, to a lot of Canadian and, and American paddlers uh, growing up in the 70s and 80s, he did his series of instructional films. Yes. And they're like, you know, they gave them, an, in, that those films gave people an, an introduction to technique and whatnot of the canoe, canoeing experience. Yes. You know, by watching those films, you figure out how to do different different strokes and, and how to do stuff, right? Can you imagine how many movie nights at summer camps that these things would have been shown at? Ooh, lots, lots. <laughs> but what I did notice is a lot of filmmakers, um, they've geared themselves towards, I don't know how you'd say, I guess the environmental side of it uh, and the impact people are having and they're doing it from a canoeist point of view. Well, when often when you get into that, type of thing and you're making these movies these films these documentaries there's you're searching there's a goal everybody has to have a goal you can't just randomly all make a movie and that's that's it there when you're making a documentary you're trying to create or tell a point or you're trying to create a narrative Mm -hmm. that tells a story and and often because you love the environment you're out in the environment you're part of you're being absorbed by the environment that's where you see the damage and that's where you start making, taking your actions and your direction and, and your point from. Yeah. And there's a, there's a few film filmmakers I want to chat about today. Um, but like I say, with you, you start looking at all the options for people to, I mean, you got the GoPro and, and I mean, there's your, your SLR cameras and stuff. There's a lot of. So many new tools now. Tools. Right? Yeah. Tools yeah. for people to use when it comes to uh, producing films and, and whatnot, videos. Um, but you think, okay, well, back in the day, what Bill Mason do, he didn't have all this, but he still had to, he basically started the exact same way everybody is now. Yeah. Uh, in 1962, 
he produced a film called Wilderness Treasure. It was his first film. It took four, four years to complete <laughs> uh, wow. because it was a one-man production. Yeah. And honestly, that's the way a lot of people are starting today. Yeah. You know, I go out and I do my stuff by myself. I'll take the canoe and I'll take my video cameras and stuff. And, yeah. and that's how I do it, right? And he just probably to, had like 50 pounds of just camera gear or more. Yeah. Well, it was all like back in the day, it was uh, like 16 mil film, right? <laughs> it's like, wow. <laughs> uh, but he learned in those four years and doing it by himself, he learned a lot of his filmmaking techniques while making that film. Uh, the film itself is, is, uh, they say it's a candid look at the wide array of experiences one can have on a canoe trip. Uh, from there, he went into Paddle to the Sea, which is the big one he's known for, yes. right? Uh, that's the carved Indian in the, uh, the canoe and it's, uh, set in the, in the, in the snow. And then when the snow melts, it goes down through the Great Lakes and, down the St. Lawrence and out to the sea. He was actually nominated for an Oscar award for that one. Really? I didn't yep. know that. Yep. 1968. I remember seeing that so many times as a kid. In school. Yeah. Yep. School. And, and again, it's it's on the National Film Board. Yep. And a lot of, like I say, a lot of the Canadian kids that grew up in the 70s, if you mention it, they've seen it multiple times. Can you imagine the difference back in the day making these films and, and the effort that goes into it and the long-term you know, success or failure. Like, you know, you, you go out for a couple of weeks you, and you do all your filming mm -hmm. and you have no idea if any of it turned out until you return home, develop the film. And it's like, you know, it could be perfect. It could be wrecked. It could be destroyed. And you don't know. Like that's the advantage of digital nowadays. And that's, I think that is helping a lot of newer filmmakers create such high quality products. And, and you can see why it would take Bill Mason four years to make a movie because you just... You don't have that instantaneous feedback, oh, I'm going to try it this way. Yeah, and you also don't have, like, programs like Movie Maker, Final Cut Pro. Yeah, all the editing. Premiere and yeah. all that for, for editing on the computer. I Everything was done by hand, right? I can't imagine doing Ooh, it the old wow. way. Yeah. Uh, so after that was The Voyageurs. Now, I've seen The Voyageurs many times, and I honestly don't think I realized for at least the first 10 times I watched that that was a Bill Mason film. And basically, it it's, uh, just recreates um, the early 19th century 5,000-kilometer river uh, trade route on the Athabasca with a uh, Voyager canoe, a group of Voyagers. And uh, Bill Mason filmed the whole thing. Yeah. And made a little film out of it, right? Um, then in 76, Song of the Paddle. Now, the Mason family is well-known in the paddling community. You know, they're, you know there's been comments they're the first family of canoeing and uh you know they're they like to go they used to go canoeing on the north shore of lake superior georgian bay and this is one film about the four of them uh paddling for the summer uh up through that way and it's about the simple pleasures found in the wilderness and learning to take the time to see all the hidden delights along the way so you can see where all his his filming sort of went yeah. It was just showing what it yeah. was all about, you know, the history and, and what you can do when you're out there and what you can see. Path of the Paddle, those were the uh, films that, it, that showed everybody, you know, a series of films, solo basic paddling, solo whitewater paddling, doubles basic and doubles whitewater paddling. Uh, just to introduce skills to, to canoeists. Yep. Right. And that was big in the 70s and 80s. And then his last film, which we've discussed many times, Water Walker. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's, I think I that's think the one that's he's the one that most people known would be for the familiar most. with. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's, he, it's surprising. It's like when you compare a lot of his previous works, he goes from averaging 20 minutes per little documentary movie piece that he's built. And then this one is like 87 minutes long. It's like feature length. Yeah. And I mean, all this one is, is he, you just follow him on to all his favorite places, you know, along North shore of uh, Lake Superior. And it talks about his love and concern for the land and, and the canoe, you know, and that's what, that's what it was about. It was all about the canoe, the land and people out there doing it. Mm -hmm. And the, I've, I've watched this one a couple of times now. And, and one thing that kind of sits my mind is it, it's, it gives you a combination of things. It gives you, for one, it gives you a history of gear and what gear used to be like. Mm-hmm. 
And it also, he goes through and it's more laid back and it shows him doing his artwork. It shows him, uh, he's, he's out enjoying the outdoors. It's, it's, I see why it's a bit longer. He's, there's a lot of slow spots in it where you almost can appreciate the, the life outdoors. Yeah. I mean, there's some bits of white water in there as well when he's with people, but uh, yeah, you just take it easy, sit back, relax, see what's around you. You know, pay attention to the land, and that was what it's all about. It was, his films weren't as um, environmentally aggressive, I guess would be the word. No, they got the point across, but I think in that day, like it was at the forefront of environmentalism. So there was, like nowadays it's in your face. Back then it was, it was, look, appreciate what we have type thing, and and nowadays, it's everybody's trying to smash you over the head with the message. Well, that brings us to our next guy, Frank Wolf. Yeah. He's... <laughs> I love his stuff. <laughs> Some of his films are a bit kooky. The first uh, film I saw of his was Mammalian. And that would have been back in 2010, 2011 at yes. the Real Paddling Film Festival. Um, yeah. And I, and I, I watched that one. It's like, wow. But he's known for his films, documenting wilderness expeditions and, with a focus on the Canadian North. Um, and there's a lot of environmental impact stuff and what it's doing to the people and the climate okay, yep. of, of yep. Northern Canada, especially. He was actually one of the first, sorry, he was the first to canoe across Canada in one season, uh, which is, which is pretty, pretty big. Uh, but yeah, he, he's a filmmaker and writer that specializes in adventure and environmental documentary films. Uh, the first one he came out with in 2008, which is a bit of a kooky one, uh, Borealis. And that follows two friends, him and, uh, his buddy Taku Hokuyama. Uh, they go on a 3,100 kilometer canoe adventure through the Northern Boreal forests of Manitoba and Ontario. And basically this film just looks at the industrial threats to the pristine vast wilderness north of the 51st parallel from the perspective of those who live in the region, which is a far cry from what Bill Mason was putting out. Yes. You know, he mentioned, you know, like Sudbury, the nickel mine, the acid rain, that stuff, but he wasn't right into it like, like this. But for what I appreciate about Frank Wolf's, like I, I, with Borealis, for example, he, he's not, he's not hammering you in the face. It, it comes gentle. It, uh, he gets his message across without being too much in your face about it. And, and he's, it's more of a introductory learning experience about, you know, I, I there's a lot of stuff that he showed, uh, like for example, up in Timmins and in the several kilometers of river below Timmins where they, you can't eat the fish because of the mercury, uh, you can't drink the water because of the toxins, you can't swim in the water because of the toxins. The pulp mills. The pulp mills and yeah. so on, yeah. But he, he sits and talks with the people. Yes, and, and, th- and that's a nice, I, I like that he did that. He, he didn't just go and tell somebody else's story, he let them tell their story. Yeah. Uh, this next film in 2010 was Mammalian, um, which follows Frank and Taku. Uh, they go on a 2000 kilometer journey through the, uh, largest wilderness area in North America. And this goes from Yellowknife to Rankin Inlet uh, through a region with one of the highest concentration of land mammals on earth. And basically they, they just present a clear picture on the area and the issues that face the land and its people. Uh-huh. And again, so that's the same basic thing that he's done with Borealis. Yes, exactly. You know, different areas, different yeah, things Yeah, just a to different see. area. Like, yeah. Like the, with the Borealis, it was more uh, Southern Ontario or Central Southern Ontario and, and how it affects you, me, and, and most Ontarians. And then he moved up to the North and how it's affecting the Northern communities. Yeah, so, you know, that shows that, yeah, it's happening down here, but it's happening way up there. So exactly. it's not just a, a localized thing. Yeah. Uh, the next one was in 2013, Keturiak, yes. which is, uh, I can't in, remember. Is it Innu or is it Nunatsiatsu? Yeah, I can't remember it's, that. It, anyways, it's a, it's a native language Word for and it means mosquito. mosquito. Yeah. And in all of his videos all of his movies it what really grabs me and and maybe it's it's my my issue with bugs i hate bugs 
hate bugs, hate bugs. But uh, it's incredible how many bugs this guy is dealing with. Like oh, the they mosquitoes are constantly and bleeding and, and it, it's just so many yeah. mosquitoes and black flies. It's just, it's like, ah. <laughs> Until you spent spring in Moosonee. You yeah. will never know, my friend. You will never know. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. I, it, like it's, wow. <laughs> well, this this trip was uh, across 620 kilometers of wilderness canoe journey uh, over the vast Labrador Plateau. And this film, again, shares the cultural perspectives of local people and the context of the journey. The next film, Hand of Franklin follows four-person team attempting to row the Northwest Passage. And this was in a funky-looking yep. rowing boat sort of and thing. I didn't... I remember seeing stories on this in the news. I remember seeing little commercials and bits and pieces about the journey, and there's coverage in, in magazines and newspapers. And I didn't know this guy back then. All I knew was that there was these four guys that they were going to paddle for the Northwest Passage. And it was... Uh, it's, I thought, oh, that's neat. That's interesting. And now it's kind of a full circle. I'm seeing it from the other side of the perspective, the other perspective, the other side of the coin about the making and the, the building of this uh, documentary. It's fascinating to to have this come back around after I've kind of sort of uh, experienced it through the news and the media and now to see it from his hand and his eye. Yeah, and of course, it's, you know, the shed light on the climate change in the Arctic. Yes. So well, there, those are his films that, you know, they're showing canoe trips or through different areas yeah. and, and paddling and whatnot, but they have a really heavy environmental... Um, they do. ...impact message. And it's a nice message. It's, it's, yes. Yeah. I, I like it when people don't hammer you over the head with their message. You know what? There was a lot of content in these films beyond just the, 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 the environmental part. Yeah. So yeah, it's not, it's not a, a whole, you know, like half hour film of just it's not a protest hammer, piece. hammer, 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 yeah. hammer, yeah. right? Which is, which is cool. Uh, his last one that's just come out is Wild Ones. Which is a complete different yeah, type of... Di- this one's kind of cool. It sounds fun. I haven't seen it. Unconventional 750 kilometer long music tour undertaken by musician Pearson Ross and his roadie slash tour manager, Frank Wolf. Uh, Pearson decides to promote his label latest album entitled Wild Ones by traveling fully self-propelled using the most quintessential of Canadian vehicles, the canoe. So they're not touring by bus or van yeah. or anything yeah. like that. They're going by canoe with all their with all the yeah. you know the the gear. He's got an acoustic guitar and stuff like that, right? All of his venues are Riverside. So yeah, <laughs> he paddles from venue to venue, playing to audiences in uh, an eclectic mix of cabins, rafting companies, bars, lodges, on his way to a final concert in Canada's capital of Ottawa for Canada Day on July first, which is totally. The opposite direction of, of Frank's regular films. Yes. But it really is It's a cool. fun one. It, it's going to yeah. be fun. So it's nice to see that there is the creative um, stuff going on with, with canoe films. Yes. Uh, you know, now as well. Yeah, you got you got the uh, the industry and the effects of everybody in, on, you know, and climate and stuff like that. But uh, you've also got that sort of, you know, different fun vibe thing going on. Yeah. Uh, the next person is Jason Eek. Now he's come, he, he came to my attention and everybody should know this one when you mention the film, Canoe Icon of the North. That came out and I mean, that's when I really found out who he was. But he used to have a YouTube channel, uh, which basically just focused on demonstrating techniques for strip build canoes, um, carving paddles, that sort of yep. stuff, right? Yeah. How to paddle them, that sort of thing. And it became really, uh, really popular. So he decided, well, I'm just going to start producing some short films. And he got good at it. And he got good at it. In 2014, he had a small film crew and produced the film Canoe Icon of the North. His film company, Trail Guide Pictures, traveled throughout Ontario and Quebec, uh, interviewing people and, and putting this uh, documentary together. Basically, it's a short documentary film about the significance of the canoe on our culture. And when you when you look at the people that he interviewed for this film, it's like it's people that you've if it, you're right into canoe tripping in that. Yeah, it's if you're familiar with the industry, you're going to know these names: Kevin Callan, yep, John Jennings, Becky Mason, 
Ted Moores, Mark Oldershaw, Hugh Stewart, Adam Vancouverden, and Jeremy Ward. Like, I mean, you know who those, these people are, at mm-hmm. least most of them, right? Yep. Even if you don't know them, you know, you recognize the names. These, these are icons iconic names of the industry. Yeah. Um, it, it, it turned out to be quite the, uh, the good film there. Yeah, and uh, I think it uh, it was filmed in 2014, but I think it was only released 2016, right? Because um, I remember the big presentation last year. It didn't. Was that 2016 or 2015? Remember, I bought it online. We watched yeah. it. I, yeah, I thought that was 20, maybe in the end of, or, or beginning of 2015, or end of 2015, beginning of 16. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was during the uh, the show. The film festival. No, this when we started the show last year, it was. Hmm. We'll have to go back and check that one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it could have been. Or that's just when you decide to stop being a cheap ass and buy it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, After that one, he produced Sprint, Canoe and Kayak Racing, a film about the sport of Sprint, Canoe and Kayak, which I didn't know was first introduced as a demonstration sport at the Summer Olympics by the Canadian Olympic Committee nearly a hundred years ago. I didn't know that. Neither did I. So yeah, again, then he gets into, you know, he, he gets a lot of big name people in these things. So again, like Frank Wolf, he's actually talking to the people. Yeah. You know, he's interviewing the people, the people that have all the experience and deal with this sort of thing. And if he's able to put these people together, it tells you something about his personality and his love of the sport and his love of the industry. Like for most people, like you can, you can try and produce something like this and people just won't give you the time of day, but he's getting some big industry names helping him out and, and and being in his movies. Yeah. And it, again, it's not like Frank Wolf with all the, you know, the environmentalist stuff. Yeah. He's gone more towards actually talking about the canoe itself. Just the canoe. Yes. The, the canoes, the kayaks, yeah. that sort of stuff, which he continues in 2016 with the Cedar Strip Canoe, yeah. which is just an overview of the building process uh, and contains other important information about owning or paddling Cedar Strip canoes. This film's a great starting point or companion film for anyone interested in building or owning a cedar strip canoe. So he strictly sticks with the actual craft. Yes, and he doesn't he doesn't wander away from that. It, and he talks he talks about the the love, the history, the the this where how it was created, and it, it's it's interesting for to it, it, most people must have seen. Uh, Canoe Icon on the North. Anybody listening to this, if you haven't, try and look for it. See if you can find it. Watch it. It's uh, he does a really good history piece and and feel good piece about the actual canoe and and the industry itself. Yeah, it's definitely a good movie to watch. Uh, we I think I've watched it about three times, four times now. Yeah, me too. Um, so that's you get you, you gone from Bill Mason who talks about the paddling of the canoe. Yes. And getting out there and, and seeing the And the development of the skills and yeah. the history, then the education and the outdoors, the environment. Then you get Frank Wolf, whose view from the canoe and on climate and the environment and what it's doing to the people. Yeah. And he does it in a funny way, an interesting way. It's well, a, there's some weird things that he does. <laughs> he's kind of peculiar. Isn't I don't he? know how many times that he went skinny dipping. Um... <laughs> And then you get Jason Eek, who's talking about the craft itself. Yes. So there, there is a lot of stuff that's going on with, with these films, and they're all showing something different. Yes. This past year, the big film out was The Canoe by Go Iremoto. Uh, he's been paddling since the age of seven from Ontario. And, you know, he says the thing about The Canoe is that over the years, he's met lifelong friends and connections just because of the canoe, yes. you know, just because of paddling. And he's came to realize that the canoe is more than just a simple vessel and wanted to show how several other paddlers similar to him created strong, intimate connections alongside the canoe. So he did a couple of films, um, back in 2015, 16 with Ray Mears, uh, up in the Tomogamy area. And the first one was called We Belong to It, which, which was really popular um the one quote that comes for that is we must remember that in the end nature does not belong to us we belong to it and this film basically just explores the visual beauty of the boreal forest landscape but also delves into ray Mears' reflections on nature and his mastered skill set in bushcraft 
And so, yeah, sorry, sorry, this one was up in Wabakimi. Okay. Uh, yeah. We belong to it. So basically, yeah, he's just, Ray Mears is paddling through Wabakimi and, you know, saying this is what nature means, you know, to people and what they should get out of it and why we need to protect it. And, you know, he's doing it from the seat of a canoe. And he's talking about his bushcraft and, and, and that sort of stuff. Sort of a continuation of that film was another one called The Path of Grey Owl. That was done in 2016. And this follows Ray Mears again through Tomogamy as he explores a path of Grey Owl uh, while he reflects on the landscape that shaped Grey Owl into the person he was. He, he further delves into Grey Owl's message about protecting our wilderness and why it is so relevant and important to the present day. Mm-hmm. So he's he's sort of mixed um, Bill Mason and Frank Wolf in these two films. Yes, he has. You know, which yeah. is which is pretty cool. So they're all getting the same sort of message and and whatnot through all of, all these guys and you know and it all basically it's it's the canoe, it's nature, it's wilderness, it's protecting it. You know, and, and it's how we get out there, you know, mm. with this canoe. And of course, the the, the latest and the, you know, uh, film from, from Go Moto is The Canoe, which has been everywhere this, this, this year. Um, it was part of the Real Paddling Film Fest, but yeah. we chose not to play it at our event just because it's, it, it, it because was you could available. Watch it online. Anybody yeah. could watch it and... And it is, a constr- it's like half hour long. Yeah. If you look, if you Google, uh, the canoe on Vimeo, um, it'll come up and you can watch it. But again, this film captures a human connection, uh, created by Canada's well-known craft and symbol, the canoe. And through the stories of five paddlers across the province of Ontario, a majestic background, both in its landscape and history, the film underscores the strength of the human spirit and how the canoe can be a vessel for creating deep and meaningful connections. So all these things are joined, you know, all these filmmakers, all their films are, are about the canoe. Yeah, there's a common thread, environment really and is. the canoe. The environment and the canoe and, and what it means to us, what it should mean to us, why we should protect it. And you know what, if, if we're not willing to do that, then, you know, when our kids, yeah, grandkids are, doing? are out there, you know, are they going to be in a canoe? Mm-hmm. Are they going to go out? And if they are, what are they going to see? They're not going to see what, what we're seeing. Right, it's going yes. to be all all devastated. It's going to be all, all, all like you say when Frank Wolf talks about some of the stuff with the pulp mills and the rivers and not being able to drink out of the rivers and having to actually go to yeah. side rivers to filter exactly. water. Exactly, it's a little, you know, it's a bit disturbing. So, yes. but yeah, yeah, that's that's sort of what's been going through my brain in the last little while while I was uh, checking all this stuff out. It was just all the types of of things that are, that people are doing with their with their videos and their films. And they all seem to be starting the same way. They start out small, they learn their skills, and then they're putting out like two or three really good, yeah. interesting films. These guys are very skilled. They are. And I mean, you look at the canoe and just some of the, well, you know, we belong to it, the path of Grey Owl and the canoe, just some of the the cinematography in that, those three films. I mean, he, Goey Ramoto is a really good uh, filmmaker, that's for sure. I mean, they all are in their own right. But uh, I'm just going to keep on going and checking out more films that are out there. And, you know, every, every year there's more and more people that are, are grabbing their cameras and, you know, putting stuff together. And, uh, you know, some of these people are putting out some really cool stuff. You find a lot of YouTubers out there nowadays doing the same thing. And, and there, there's so many YouTubers, so it's really hard for somebody, some one individual to stand out. But maybe, maybe the next... Uh, you know, a documentary style will be uh, some YouTuber, right? It's well, that's what you think. I mean, there is a lot of stuff I've looked at that is that's the same. It's just somebody's um, trip log, basically visual trip log yes. of what they did. Yeah, there's an awful lot of that. You know, there's no real story behind it. Mm-hmm. But it's, these four filmmakers all have stories behind. They're, yes, they're their telling films. a story and, and a lesson for everybody to learn. And they're really well done. So, hey, you know what? If you're into it, grab your camera and all your gear and put uh, put together a good um, script and whatnot and check it out. Maybe, yeah, like you say, maybe you'll be the next one up there and uh, <laughs> next big filmmaker on the uh, on the scene. So that's what I've been doing. Um, well, that and many other things. But uh, actually, there is something else I want to talk about. But we'll take a quick uh, break here and we'll come back and chat about that. You are listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on Reno Viola Outdoors. 
Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio. Whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. And welcome back. Um, I've, I've been a long time canoe tripper. I mean, for, geez, I've even lost track now how many years. Uh, I think it's like going on like 30 years or something since I was in a canoe for the first time. Uh, but since we started doing this radio show, and I've had to look at and research um, all these different forms of paddling over the, over the last year and three months, 62 episodes, I guess. Um, you know, you're looking at kayaks, you're looking at stand-up paddle boards, you're looking at rafts and all that stuff. We've really come across some really cool stuff. And there's some other stuff that, and no, not for me sort of deal. We're expanding our horizons. We are expanding our horizons. But with this research comes the urge. I mean, there's a time where it's like, no, I'm canoe tripping and that is all I'm doing. I don't want to kayak. I don't want to stand up paddleboard. I don't want to go rafting. I don't want to, you know, do all this other stuff. Really closed minded because I'm, you know, sort of because I'm a canoe tripper. That's my interest. <laughs> but now when you're researching all this stuff and, and you get more into it all, if I was a millionaire, I'd be losing my money really fast because there's stuff we're finding over the last year that... That's cool. Yes. That's cool. Oh, I know. When you I know. look at it this way, that's cool. I can't afford that, but wow, that's cool. <laughs> so, I mean, canoe tripping being the core of what I do and what I love is it brings an important question when you start looking at all this. Can any of these other crafts match up to the, my tripping canoes? And it comes down to mostly practicality, right? Well, the answer I came up with is not really, but sort of. Yeah. Which is a definite possibility of being a maybe. <laughs> yeah. So I happen to be looking at Current Design Kayaks. Uh, it's a company, cdkayak.com. Now, what, what made you pick that one? I just happened to be looking at their stuff. Um, I was going through some different kayak companies, and there, there are a couple of theirs really caught my eye. There's a lot of companies out there, and there's a lot of different designs, but it, like... You and I found it interesting, funny. We haven't, I haven't mentioned this before, but all all of the early kayaks that I paddled out west in in British Columbia, they were current designs. It was one of the more common ones out there at the time, and I haven't paddled anything else other than current designs. Well, I'd never really, like I say, I've never really looked at brand specific stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I happen to be on this page and I'm looking at some of the, a couple of their things caught my eye, so I started researching stuff, uh, and. What I found is that most of the kayaks will not do what I want them to do oh, when it comes no, to tripping. Oh, no, absolutely not. Right? But I did find that there are a few that would almost do what I wanted, but I'd have to change some of my criteria in order for them to do exactly what I want them to do. And you'd have to change how you do it. Yeah. Um, so if you go to the Current Design Kayaks website, like I say, cdkayak.com, You'll see that they have kayaks divided into six categories. Recreational, transitional, North American style, British style, Greenland style, and Danish style. So right off the bat, I know I'm not looking at a recreational style. Uh, when I start th seeing things like Greenland style, I'm thinking uh, like rolling and stuff. That's yes. not what I want to do. And, and that's exactly I want to stay upright. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, keep me upright. But, so the recreational kayaks, they're perfect for small lakes, slow rivers, uh, nibbling, where nibbling, nimble handling wins over speed and load carrying capacity. Yeah. It's well, a right off the cottage bat. cottage kayak. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's exactly it's it. It's a cottage kayak. Um, so right off the bat, that takes that right out. The British style was developed to conquer high winds 
and confused C's, C's right? Yeah. They call it confused C's, yeah. rough C's. Yeah. More moderate form of performance touring kayak. Okay. Featured back, uh, back bands, which make them good for laybacks and a skeg, which aids tracking in wind and waves, but it favors the more experienced paddler. Now, I know how to paddle, but I'm not an experienced kayak yeah. paddler. So I think that one's out. Yeah, because it doesn't have the same stability. You won't have the same confidence using it. That's something that it, it, you're you're going to be in into kayaks for a few years and, and be trying out a British style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same which thing so for that Greenland. that one counts. At. Greenland, same thing. Developed water based, big game hunting. Less stability and yeah. <laughs> I'm not going out hunting <laughs> seals and whales and, and exactly. all that sort of stuff. Exactly. So the Greenland's out. Yeah. The Danish style is a snug fit in sporty dimensions, accommodate a myriad of paddler shape, sizes, and skills. The hull designs are a marriage of classic hulls, new innovative twists leading to highly improved functionality. I think that's a bit complicated for what I need, right? So Danish style is right out as well. Mine is based on the photos that I was looking at and and. and it, when it comes down to it, is I thought the the look and the style and the designs of the British Greenland and Danish style were a little unusual. Yeah. So that leaves the transitional kayak and the North American style kayaks. Yes. Okay. So this is where we've narrowed it down here now. The British, or sorry, the, he got me on British now. Traditional kayaks bridge the gap between the recreational and the touring. So it's, it's you know, a, a combo of the best of both. Yeah, you're getting the best of both worlds. You're getting the the fun, the twitchy, the easy turning, as well as stability. And you, you can do longer trips like recreational kayaks. You're not going to camp out. You're not going to do Georgian Bay and camp for a long weekend or anything like that. But with a transitional kayak, you have, there's more capacity. You have, uh, well, the recreational kayaks tend to be sit on top, whereas the transitional you're it's a inside you sit inside the kayak you have storage compartments water type bulkheads and you're starting to get to a point where yes i'm going to take this out for a long weekend i'm going to take this camping i'm going to you know and the transitional kayaks they cover all that myriad between a recreational and then a full-on north american touring style kayak It, it gives you that happy medium as well, you're in a happy medium for cost. Yeah, you you can go for the afternoon or you can go for a few days. Yes. Right, that's what. Then there's a North American style. We're originally designed for open ocean coastal regions. These kayaks are um, are more forgiving than the other types, the British and the Greenland styles. Added width and depth improves storage capacity and makes them very comfortable. New paddlers, new paddlers, I'm having issues with my talking today, <laughs> will find these kayaks easier to become accustomed to. Okay. They are more efficient, faster, and have better tracking than recreation or transitional models. Okay. And they have foot-controlled rudders for added maneuverability and tracking. Bingo. Yes. That sounds what I'm looking for. These are the Cadillacs of kayaks. They are... And so, it comes with the Cadillac price tag. Yeah. I mean, all kayaks do, but... So I took a, a peek at traditional a couple of traditional kayaks and a couple of North American style ones. Checked them all out. And I came out... I don't know if you can say three or four. Um, the traditional kayaks, there's the Vision 150. It's 15 feet long. Standard rudder. Uh, enough storage capacity for a long weekend trip, efficiency to travel new distances, uh, and it's a perfect step up for kayakers looking to further their technique and skill development. Uh, the Vision 150 is constructed from a vacuum-bagged composite hybrid material, which allows for an unsurpassed combination of lightweight, stiffness, toughness, and value. Maximum load 350 pound, or 375 pounds, and composite hybrid is only 48 pounds. Okay, that sounds good. You can get the Vision 150R. That's why I say, I don't know if I found three or four. Yeah. The difference between this one and the, just the, between the R and just the 150 is the 150R is roto-molded construction. So yeah, just different it's, material. It's that blown plastic that you typically see from a recreational kayak. So you have the... The plastics, the rotomolded plastic of a recreational kayak, like the typical multi-model color 
kayak and but these are solid colors so it's that it, it gives you the the cost effectiveness and then the design of, of a decent midway you know recreational to uh north america stock kayak yeah i mean so this is that polyethylene again maximum load 375 pounds yeah uh the weight of the kayak itself is 60 pounds yeah you know so you've gone from 48 to 60 it's a lower range price tag on this one compared to the, the just the Vision 150, which is, you know, the, the hybrid, uh, better material, uh, the composite hybrid, which is sort of a mid-priced uh, kayak. It's about $1,000 more. Yeah. Uh, but then I got into, I, I found two that I, I did actually really like of the North American Touring. There's the Solstice GT Titan and the Nomad GTS. So the, the Titan, I like that one uh, because right off the bat, they say, we know not everyone that loves to paddle is six foot tall and less than 225 pounds. So the Salsus GT Titan is a comfortable performance touring kayak for big and tall paddlers. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> the deck is fuller throughout, allowing for long legs and big feet, size 14 plus. The oversized keyhole cockpit greatly aids in entry and exit. It is a steady cruiser that will keep pace with any boat on the water. Uh, maximum load 475 pounds, which is really good. That's a lot of gear. Like like the typical person of that height and weight, it gives you still a lot of room a for gear. A lot of room for gear. I think the 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 front. I can't. I didn't. I thought I wrote it down, but it's like uh, like. Uh, 20, 25 gallons compartment in the front and, yep. and you got about 35, 40 gallon compartment in the back. These are definitely set up for a lot of touring. Yeah. You're going to be able gear. to sit a lot of gear in there, like tents and sleeping bags. And it's, it's a decent size. Fiberglass model is 56 pounds. The Kevlar model, 51 pounds. So you're only saving like five pounds there. Yeah. But those are very high priced what what kind of surprised me is the like the weights are almost identical and the prices are not far apart. Mm-hmm. Like they're uh, four hundred dollars apart between the fiberglass and the Kevlar. Yeah, and you're you got like five pounds between the two. So it's really you're hard pressed to make a decision between the two, right? Yeah. Do you want the Kevlar or do you want the fiberglass? Yeah. Right? Um, the Nomad GTS. If you want efficiency and speed in an expedition touring kayak, the Nomad is for you. So they say. Extremely efficient hull and gives you super fast open water boat. Very versatile, slices through the waves with ease. Maneuvers beautifully, allows the paddler to handle adverse conditions and com- with confidence. Can handle expeditions, extended tours, or day trips in all conditions. Available at an optional high volume model, which adds three quarters of an inch in depth, allowing for a roomier cockpit. Maximum load, 425 pounds. Fiberglass is 54 pounds. Kevlar, 50 pounds. Yeah. And they are the same prices as the GT, uh, the Solstice GT Titan. So you get a little bit less space, storage space, human space. It's a, but you're, you basically have pretty much the same kayak. You're just, it's, it's going to be geared for a little bit smaller person. Like I'm 5'8". That this is the, the Normad GTS would be perfect for me. Uh, you know what? And it's, it's six, six, one. I mean, I think that would be, that'd be fine for me as well. Um, and what I do like about, um, the current designs, uh, kayaks is the color choices of some of this stuff. <laughs> we both went through these on the computer and we were combining all the wacky colors and trying monotones and there, there's way too many features and colors to choose from. Smoke on smoke with black seam or I think it was, was it mango on smoke with black seam? Yeah, they were, they nice. were, they were, they were yeah. nice looking, but yeah, the, the, the smoke on, the smoke actually looks a bit uh, off white. And, and the website does a really good job of, of, of giving you the colors and, and seeing the combination of colors. It doesn't look fake or anything. It looks like you're actually looking at it. Well, it probably is actual photos of a, but there's so many choices. It's, it's hard to pick. Yeah. So after looking at all of this, um, when I win the lottery. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Eh? 
I think <laughs> I would actually go for the Nomad GTS. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when you're and when you're looking between fiberglass and Kevlar, I like Kevlar. Yeah, there's a four pound difference. It's it's I mean four pounds lighter, but I just prefer the Kevlar over the fiberglass. Now, would the, would the fiberglass be hardier? Um, my old one cracked a lot. As a, fiberglass, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my canoe, I'm, I'm talking canoe, fiberglass canoe. It cracked, it tended to crack uh, and was less forgiving when you hit off a rock and, and whatnot. Yeah. So everything else I've owned has been Kevlar or Kevlar Fusion. Well, the good thing then. about these is uh, it's not like you're going to be doing a lot of portages. This is typically, for well, for us, we'd be doing Georgian Bay, uh, Lake Superior, Lake mm-hmm. Ontario, and, and you wouldn't be doing any portaging. I've, I've, I've met up with people portaging in Algonquin Park with a kayak, and it kind of made me scratch my head because it just it seems a little ridiculous that you it's not like you pull a canoe pack out and, and you hump across the portage. You're unpacking the kayak into a backpack, into a canoe pack, and then transversing that. And when you, you either need a rig for the kayak so that it sits above your head, or when you're portaging with the kayak, you have to throw it on a shoulder, or if you put it over your head, your head's inside the cockpit and you can't really see where you're going. Yeah. Um, so traditional versus North American is what it comes out at the end of the day. The yeah. traditional kayaks, short, somewhat wide. They favor stability on calm waters, easy turning over speed. Uh, like touring models, they have an upturned bow to help cut through and defect waves should rough conditions arise. And they also include thigh braces for more efficient paddling and control. North American style designed for open ocean coastal regions, which, you know, I mean, with us with the Great Lakes, that'd be perfect. Yes. You know? Uh, added width and depth improves storage capacity, which makes them very comfortable. Again, with our tripping, you know, that's the whole purpose of this conversation was to, how can I go from canoe tripper to a kayak tripper? (laughs) New paddlers find these kayaks easier to become accustomed to, which, you know, that's, that'd be me for a kayak. More efficient, faster, and have better tracking than transitional models. North American style kayaks have foot controlled rudders, for added maneuverability and tracking, which, you know what, if you're getting into this, I think that right off, just uh-huh. what I just read there is, yeah. it is perfect. Uh, it, it's the, it does seem that the North American style is the way to go for a canoe tripper to transition to kayak touring, especially for longer periods, mm-hmm. you know. The um, thing that I liked when I looked at the design Comparing North American touring with uh, with the British Greenland Danish style, the other ones had these round, uh, kind of like a water dish for a dog covers for the storage holes. Whereas the North American touring had this kind of an oval doorway to open up, and it seemed like it would be easier to pack and unpack. And and I, I don't know, I just like the look and I like the design better. Yeah, it looks smoother. Yes, yeah, yeah more it, streamlined. It looks smooth. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, if you're only going to, if you're ever only going to go for a night or two, then yeah, maybe the traditional, yeah, or sorry, transitional, I keep saying traditional. I know you said it so many times. I haven't bothered to correct you. (laughs) The transitional uh, kayak would work fine for you. If, if you're only, if you're only ever going out for a day or two, you know, long weekends at the most. Yeah. Um, but or I mean, if you're I, looking at trying it out before you sink the big bucks, it's the transitional would, would serve your purpose for a couple of years and you'd probably be able to sell it at barely a loss, you know? And so it's, it's a good starting kayak. Yeah. It all comes down to the bodies of water you're going to paddle and the length of time you plan to be out on your trip. Yes. But as you say, and it begs the question, do you go for a transitional to start and then sell it and move up? Or do you go all or in? Or do you go all in yeah. right off the bat? Yeah. Um, if I had the money knowing myself, I would go in all in off the bat yes. and get it the North American but style. But who has that kind of money? Well, I mean, if you go just by their website, the costs in US dollars. Oh yeah. And the, I forgot about that. They're in US dollars. The ones we're looking at. Yeah. We're, yeah. You're looking at $3,900 US for the Kevlar Nomad GTS <laughs> plus taxes, all yeah. that sort of stuff. So, um... Well, yeah, I don't. And, I, I don't know what you get it for up here, but yeah. Well, then you need the paddles, the paddles, the, the skirts, and the skirts, and, and the pumps, yeah, and all, all the, that sort all of the stuff. Gear. Right? All the gear that goes. You're with. over five grand, yeah. easily. 
Wow. In a heartbeat, you're over five grand. And you would hope that it will do everything you you want, want it, it to. to do. Yeah. So, well, I'll keep on looking and uh, see what happens. But you know what? One day, I may uh, just turn around and say, "Yeah, you know what? I'm getting a I'm getting a kayak. This is what I'm getting. I'm going to go do some kayak trips. We should rent a couple this summer. Just try it out. Try it out. I think I think I think this summer is going to be a lot of going to be very costly for us. Yes. <laughs> Stand up paddleboard, kayaks. Yeah, Yeah, I think we're going to be uh, trying a lot of stuff out. So, Um, Well, that seems to be about it for today. Yep. And uh, yeah, you know, filmmakers and kayaks. There's a lot of stuff going on. Yes. (laughs) But if you want to see stuff going on, I would suggest that you check out our website at paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can check out all the stuff we're doing on our Facebook page. Uh, there's a lot of stuff on our Instagram page. And I know Derek has been getting right into the Twitter page these days. I've been trying. <laughs> well, you get a lot of people uh, you keep, messaging you and yes. they keep bugging yeah, you. Yeah, and you and... keep complaining that I don't tweet enough. And, well. And uh, it, it's, I don't know. <laughs> get tweedling. It's one of those things you got really got to get into. And you got to, it's more of a mental buy-in. It's, uh, I'm just not there yet. But I'm trying. Trying. You're trying. You're getting there. The social media guy. Yes. One part of it. Yeah. I'm the, I'm the Instagram. And Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. Website guy. Yes. <laughs> Anywho. So that's our show for this week. I want to thank everybody for uh, joining us. Uh, tune in next week and we'll have a lot more stuff. Thanks for listening. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>